You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. What does loving God with your soul or your mind look like? Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 4, a couple books over, towards the end of your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 8 with me. Loving God with our mind. This verse says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So we can love the Lord our God by fixing our mind on excellent things. By, by choosing to think on things that are lovely that are admirable, that are honorable and true. That's how we can love the Lord with our minds. Also, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Back to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 21 through 24 with me where we read of a way that we can love the Lord with our mind. Ephesians 4 verse 21. It says, Since you heard, since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth, note the word learned, that's involving the mind, that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we love the Lord our God with our mind by renewing our mind, by putting off the old nature. And renewing our mind and putting on the nature of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a way that we love the Lord God with our minds. What about loving God with our strength or our bodies? Let's flip back to Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry. Yes, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. We read this. It says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. You know, the other day I was uh, browsing through some news articles and I saw a... uh, an article about a, a guy, a man who had, you know, tattooed pretty much every square inch of skin on his body, you know, and it all started with, of course, one tattoo, which led in turn to another and to another and to, and, you know, is, he, he just kind of felt like his body became an artboard that he wanted to use every square inch of, and so his whole body ended up being covered in tattoo ink, and it was really bizarre, you know, just really weird, you know, you ever run into a guy like that, you, you, you realize, okay, this is, this is different, this is not the norm, but, but I thought, you know what, that's interesting, he gave his whole body for tattoos, that's kind of a good illustration of what God wants from us, he wants us to present our whole body to him for service, that's how we love the Lord with all our strength. We, we let our energy, our time, our resources that we have, and, and we devote it to His kingdom first. You know, Jesus promises that if we seek first His kingdom, 
that he will take care of all the rest. That's Matthew 6, He'll take care of all the rest. When we are focused on loving the Lord first, he takes care of the rest in our lives. Verse 6, we continue, let's go back to Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to continue in uh, Moses' sermon. But I felt like it was important to just spend a little bit of time on chapter, on, on verse 4 and 5, because, um, you know, Jesus quotes those verses, and it's really such an important passage to get down and to understand. That's the main thing, okay? The principal commandment so i want to just sink into your mind tonight the principal commandment is that you love god who's uh, saint augustine who said love god and do whatever you want some I'm, i know i'm paraphrasing but that was his that was his motto was you know love the love god with all your heart and do whatever you want if if you get that first part right you know what you're going to end up doing you're going to end up doing things that please God. It's just the way that we need to be living. It's the main thing in life. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse 6, we read, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, and when you are on the road, when you go to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, through repetition, this command to love God would become ingrained in the hearts and the minds of the children. And and we actually can glean something from this, parents, that we as parents, as we teach our children at home, hey, A great way to teach them is repetition. Repetition. We're not going to move on until we've got this down. We're going to stay here. We're going to camp out. Today, Orthodox Jews, they'll take this scripture literally. And you will see them walking around with a small box that's strapped onto their left wrists and onto attached to their foreheads. And they'll usually hang something called a mezuzah or a small box on their doorposts that signifies that this household recognizes our dependence on the Word of God. And it was respectful as you entered the house to touch that box to, to, as a sign that, hey, you, you understood that and you were in agreement with that as you came into that house, that they were dependent upon the Word of God. You know, the practical application of this verse for us as Christians living in non-Jewish culture, we need to take this seriously as our responsibility as parents and grandparents, if you're a grandparent here tonight, it's your responsibility to both be in the Word of God personally and then be giving the Word to the family. Finding ways to get that Word to your grandchildren. Finding ways to be talking about it around the dinner table or around the Christmas tree or around the, whatever it is that you happen to be doing. Finding ways to introduce the Word into the home. What are you doing right now to teach your children? If I could make a few suggestions to you. Hey, one of the great resources we've made available is Right Now Media. And that doesn't require you to do hardly any preparation. You can, you can watch a Right Now Media teaching that's for children. I mean, they have literally hundreds or thousands of, of videos for kids. 
And, and I know a couple of people here in the church that are using that to just kind of do some light devotions with their children. But it's a great catalyst. It's a great point for getting into the Word and raising questions and interacting and sharing the spiritual life which God wants us to be doing. He wants our families to be sharing spiritual life. Um, what about catechisms? There are some great catechisms out there. Uh, our family, we use one called the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, I think because I'm Dutch, I just like it. You know, something about being Dutch and it coming from Holland and all of that. So, and, and, but I sit with the kids and we just ask the questions and we, we go through the answers. And we're slowly memorizing a little bit. We're on number one still. But we've read through several of them. And we enjoy it together. It's something we do together as a family. What about uh, devotionals? Devotionals are a great way to go. Spend some money. Do some research. Get online and find a good family devotional, guys. I use one with my kids from Josh McDowell. It's called Family Time, I think. Don't quote me on that. I have to double check it. But we read through that. And it does a great job of taking real-life stories and just relating a biblical principle through that real-life story. And it relates to my kids. I mean, we're reading about a, a little league game that a kid was playing in and he lost. And, I'm, and, and Elijah goes, that's happened to me before, you know. He's playing t-ball. And so he knows what that's like. But then through that, there's a lesson. A lesson about how to uh, 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 just do things or, or learn the, 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 the principles there that God has in his word and teach them through that devotional. There's Psalms and Proverbs you know, something my dad used to do that I respect so much about him was uh, he would, every time that he was home and every time that we were there as a family, he would break out the Bible after our meal. And he would open it up to a psalm and he kind of went systematically through the psalms, but he'd always know where we were. He'd open that Bible up and he would just read that psalm and then he would ask us some simple questions about it. Sometimes he'd give the Bible to me or to one of the other kids and we would get to read it. And then he would ask some questions about it. You know, so it was, an, it was just a time where it was family time, getting the word and talking about it. And, and it's so important, so, so important, guys, that we would be doing that. If you're a grandparent here tonight, what are you doing to teach your grandchildren? You know, I had a grandfather, uh, and, and he's still with us, um, but just a, just a wonderful man of God. Just had a relationship with the Lord that kind of you were jealous of, you know, that kind of a guy. Never tried to push it on me, but always knew that this guy loved the Lord. And you know what he did to motivate me? He offered me money to memorize passages. And so, yes, total, total evil motive, you know, but man, I can still remember some of those passages today. You know, and, and the impact that those had on me, the, the last one that he offered me was a hundred bucks to memorize Romans 8. And I never made it. I got to like verse 20 and I just gave up. But, but he was willing to, 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 you know, do stuff like that with me. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just that. There were other things as well. But we need to be creative, guys. We need to take the scripture to heart. This is serious. This is important. What are you doing to get the word of God out there in your family life and have a spiritual, share a spiritual life together? It's so centrally important to uh, God's uh, family. Verse 10. Continuing on in Deuteronomy 6. We read. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land. That he swore to give you. When he made a vow to your ancestors. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns that you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful. Note this. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. When you take an oath, you must use only His name. So... Moses touching now on the danger of complacency, which comes from comfort. When we get comfortable, he warns, that people begin to lose their fear of the Lord. Now naturally, humans, we are in danger of growing complacent and lazy when we get supplied with everything that we need or want. Notice that this life of physical comfort and ease could cause the spiritual result of no longer fearing the Lord. No longer serving the Lord. Very interesting. We need to resist this human tendency in ourselves too. And we need to learn to overcome comfortable patterns. Okay, Comfortable patterns that we fall into. And we just like it this way. And this is the way it's always been. And so we're going to keep it this way. And don't come in and and ruffle the feathers. And don't come in and try to shake things up. Because we don't like that. Now listen guys. We need to realize that when we get comfortable, we get complacent. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because that's when we start to lose our fear for God. Our respect, our reverence for Him. And how great and how awesome He is. And we start to get real complacent, even apathetic sometimes. And you know what? Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened to Israel. Man, they went into this place. They inherited a great land flowing with milk and honey, meaning that it had everything that they were going to need agriculturally and and uh, for livestock and everything that they needed to subsist. It was there. But you know what? Within a few years of getting all of that, they started to fall. They started to slide away from God. And that's, we get into the book of Judges. Man, you see them locked in this vicious cycle of not trusting in the Lord and not living for the Lord anymore. And so, guys, we we need to listen to the warning here as well for ourselves. The practical application for us is that we live in a blessed land. We, we have a lot of wonderful blessings here in America. And I'm not here to, to, you know, to, to rail against those things that we might have. But what I am here to rail against is complacency. And what we do need to be careful of is that, hey, we don't get lulled to sleep by you know, American materialism okay, or the, comfort, the comfortable life. Hey, listen, if we're Christians, then God is the number one priority. And He is the one that dictates what we do with our time, our resources, our money. And listen, we are called to make disciples, church. We are called to be discipling others. And we need to make that happen. That needs to be priority in our lives. It starts in our home, and then it goes outside of our home to 
you know, whoever God puts in our life. But we need to be looking, hey, God, how do you want to use me in the life of somebody else? Because if I get comfortable and I sit back and I just enjoy the ride, man, I'm going to, I'm in danger. I'm in danger of slipping away, of falling away. And that's not where we want to be, guys. We want to be actively serving the Lord, fearing the Lord, and, and, and seeking the Lord. We continue now uh, looking now, not only the danger of complacency and losing the fear of the Lord, but Mo- Moses points out in verse 14 the danger of idolatry. He says, you must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. For the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massah. So Massah was a place where the children of Israel had stopped when they were led out of Egypt into the wilderness. And they had traveled for a while in the desert. And when they got to the campsite, of course, they needed water. But lo and behold, there was no water at this campsite. And so the people began to complain and threaten Moses, saying, Look, if you don't get some water for us now, we're going to stone you, Moses. It was the equivalent of, you know, shooting, I guess, in those days. Just grab some rocks and chuck them at the guy. But Moses is going, Lord, I don't know what to do. There's no water here. We've got, you know, almost a million, over a million people, and there's nothing that I can give them. So God tells Moses, take your staff, go to that rock that's in front of all those people, and I want you to hit that rock, and out of the rock flows water. But Moses renamed that place Masa, which means test, because the people were testing God there by saying, is the Lord with us or not? Is the Lord with us or not? Now, tie that into the New Testament when Jesus was in the wilderness. Remember when Jesus was led, or driven by the Spirit rather, into the wilderness to be tested and Satan comes to him? And one of the tests that Satan puts in front of Jesus was he takes him to the top of the temple and he says, throw yourself down from here because God has written that he, his angels have charge over you and they won't allow your foot to strike a stone. And so he was tempting Jesus to test whether or not God was going to be with him or not. Same sort of a thing that happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel. But where Israel failed, Jesus prevailed. Jesus did not give in to that temptation of testing and to prove whether or not God was with him or not. Instead, he quotes, he quotes this very verse, 16, the very first part of it. He says to Satan there, you must not test the Lord your God. You must not test the Lord your God. You know, today Satan still tries to make us think that God isn't with us, doesn't he? That's one of the major tests that Satan presents to you and to me. He tests us to think that God isn't with us. He tries to get us to feel like, hey, man, God's abandoned me. I'm going through this and he doesn't understand or he's not here with me or I don't know where he's at, but he is not here with me. And he tempts us to complain, perhaps in that way, by thinking that. But we need to remember that we shouldn't test God. Instead, we need to learn to trust God. He has told us that he is with us always, even in the hard times. 
even in the fiery trial, and even unto the end of the age, all for, and, and then for all of eternity. So God is with us, and we need to learn to trust Him in that. Verse 17, we continue on. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. You will drive out all the enemies living in the land, just as the Lord said you would. I want to stop right here for a minute and talk about verse 18. Note that they're commanded to do what is good and right in the Lord's sight. Not their own sight. It was in the Lord's sight. And I want to make a a comment tonight about that. That when humanity loses sight of the truth. The truth that it is God who decides what is right and wrong. That is when we're going to get into trouble really fast. Now as you know we live already in a society that does not believe that God is the moral lawgiver. The ultimate judge and jury. We live in a society that does not believe that it is God who should decide what is right and wrong for us. But nonetheless, that is true. God is the one who tells you and tells me what is right and wrong. We need to remember this the next time that we get confused about what we think is our right. And what we think is right in regards to us. And we need to go, you know what, hold on a second. We need to take this to the Lord. You know, when humanity refuses to believe that right and wrong comes to us from a higher power, as they might call it, or we might say the moral lawgiver, God himself, then humanity itself becomes the, 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 the determining factor between what is right and wrong. And the problem with that is because human nature is corrupt. And because of the, of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, humanity's judgment of what is right and wrong is going to become corrupted too. And that explains to us today how it is that we're now living in a country where murder is called pro-choice. And where two people of the same sex can be married. God's institution. God is who decides Who participates in a marriage? We need to remember that it is not human beings who decide what is right and wrong. But it is a holy God who gives us perfect commandments that come from His very nature. And He decides what is ultimately right and wrong. Listen, brother and sister, (laughs) you need to learn that this is truth. You need to learn that this is as difficult as that might be for you. It is true whether you believe in it or not. And and, in our lives, you know, we are not the judge and jury of our lives. But it is God who holds that, that unique position in our lives. Coming now to verse 20. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them, 
We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. You know, I love that. The Lord God is the one who rescued Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt. Now, I believe that Egypt is a type or a picture of life under the cruel taskmaster of sin. The ruler of Egypt was Pharaoh, who I believe is best seen as a type or picture of Satan, the one who's in charge of the system of the world. It's God, but God stepped in, didn't he? And he intervened with powerful signs and wonders. He destroyed the pagan idols of Egypt. He showed power and he showed his ability and willingness to save. What does all of that say to you and to me today? Well, I can see a correlation with my own life. I too was once enslaved to my own sinful and selfish ways. I too was once under the taskmaster of sin and ruled by, so to speak, Satan, dead to the the, the things of God. And yet God, in His great love, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross, risen from the the dead and, and now lives in heaven to make intercession for me. And the gospel message, the power of God into salvation, when that was shared with me, God used his power and, and, and you know, met that with saving faith. And that became my story. That God stepped into my life. I, who was once enslaved to selfishness and sin, now have been set free by the good news in Jesus Christ. The Lord brings his people out of bondage and slavery so that he can bring us in to the abundant life that is in Jesus Christ. That's his goal for you and for me. He brings us out so that he can bring us in to an abundant life. That's what God has for you tonight. He has an abundant life, a life that is filled with joy and all manner of spiritual blessings. That's what God wants to bring you into. Out of slavery, out of bondage, into abundant life. Verse 24, we continue on and wrap up the chapter. It says, Our Lord and the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear Him so He can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as He has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. So Moses, uh, continuing there in his sermon... We finish this chapter tonight reminded of the, 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 the motive of God behind these commands. Note in verse 24 that he gave these commands and commanded us to obey so that he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives. So we need to remember that motive that behind these commandments that God gives you and me is love from a pure heart. He loves you. But... What we're to do is to obey them and to fear Him from our hearts, from our pure hearts. 
And then in verse 25, an interesting verse. And I want to take one last look at it as we close this message. But we need to understand that obedience here. It says we, we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord has, our God has given us. Now, we need to understand that obedience to the law is not the basis of salvation. Okay? I want to make that clear tonight. That what this is saying, this is not saying to you and to me that if you do good works, you'll be saved. That if you obey the law, that's how you get righteousness imputed to your account. No, that is not the basis of salvation. The only basis for salvation, according to the scriptures, is God's grace. And that grace is accessed through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that. However, we do need to learn. Listen to and pay attention to this as we close. This is important to understand. The basis of blessing is formed by our obedience. Even in the new covenant. Even in the new covenant made with Jesus Christ's blood. The, the basis for his blessing is formed by your obedience. That obedience is always the natural result of God's spirit that lives in us. Okay? So God's spirit living in you causes you and I to walk in his ways. Obedience cannot be produced naturally, guys. As hard as you try, as much as you strive to be an obedient, good little Christian boy or little girl, you'll never have what it takes to get there on your own. It takes a work of regeneration that is by grace through faith in your life. And as the Holy Spirit fills your life, He's the one that causes you to walk in His ways. You know, one of the best balances in Scripture of this principle is found in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, where we're told, Paul writing, he says, hey, work out your fear, or your salvation. Work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God who works both in you to will and to do to his good pleasure. And I, I know that I'm saying that a little bit wrong, paraphrasing it. But that's the idea, is that you're to work out with fear and trembling your salvation. While at the same time knowing that it's God who's working in you to, make, to cause you to will and to do his good pleasure. His good works. And so it's, it's a thing that, it's this idea of us resting, but it's an active rest. We're actively resting in the promises of God while we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Obedience is always the natural result of God's Spirit living in us, causing us to walk in His ways. Grace is given to every believer who by faith has trusted Christ. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. But the work of justification is always followed by the lifelong work of sanctification, church. Justification means that you're right with God. You have the gift of eternal life by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Sanctification, though, means that you are being molded and shaped in the image of Jesus day by day. Let's pray.